The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at HeftyRenew.com. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at HeftyRenew.com. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at HeftyRenew.com. It's not going to be evening when you watch it, I don't mind saying that. Um, welcome back to Cruise Street Noise. We are delighted to be joined by a Rovers legend, which is Simon Garner. Simon, I know you just mentioned how cold it is. Are you glad to be with us tonight? I am. I'm sat inside the warmth. You've kept me out of the pub for the evening, so uh, <laughs> I'm sat inside with a bottle of beer. <laughs> yeah, we'll try not to keep you too long and hopefully you can sneak in for a pint after the show. <laughs> Uh, you mentioned you've done a few of these interviews. Obviously, the book um, is out now. People can order it online at simongarnerbook.co.uk is where you can get it from. That's the one, yeah. yeah. That's where it is. Um, so I first want to start with the book, and we'll talk about how it came about. Um, I think we mentioned it. It was 20 years since the first one that you wrote. Um, who was it that approached you to, to write the second book? Well, it was Richard Slater who wrote the first book. He approached me and said, look, but it's, it's a couple of years gone nearly now. He said, uh, it's 20 years. Um, Richard didn't have the time to write it, but he got Dan Clough, who did the writing of the new one, who's done a really good job with it. And I just, it was easier than the first time, because what used to happen with Richard, he, he'd record everything I said to him, he'd post it to me, then I had to say yes, no, yes, no. So it took a long time. Whereas with technology nowadays, it was a lot easier to do. So, um, but we we kept it back a bit because with the, the situation with Tony Parks, with his um, his illness and what everything. So we thought, hang on a minute, let's just get Tony sorted out. Okay. So we put it back about 18 months. Yeah. Um, and just on the writing of the book, I think 20 years ago, you were probably, I mean, definitely, um, in like a Black Rovers world, <coughs> we me and Lewis grew up in. Who were the first to do any sort of that sort of media, like writing the book and then telling us about your career and stuff? Um, do you feel like there's more of like an appetite for that sort of stuff? I know you've done a lot of these podcasts, and I saw you on Under the Cosh. Like, there's a lot more appetite and um, desire for stuff like this. I think there is. Yeah, I think there is. Um, I enjoyed writing the first one. I had a really good time doing it. And uh, okay, it's twenty years, and I forget a few things. I'm getting a bit older, but uh, I really enjoyed doing the second one as well. And like you're saying, the podcasts and things like that. I'm not very good at it, um, with technology, but uh, we got it sorted out, and I'm doing quite a few of them and enjoying them. Yeah, good. I'm glad. Um, so we'll start with your career. Um, proud Boston lad. Um, like when did? I think you mentioned in one of the interviews that I've watched that you wanted to be a footballer from a very early age. I know a lot of lads want to be footballers. Um, when did you first realise that 
you were better than most and this was like a realistic career choice for you? Um, well, we're coming from Boston, which was a small place. I realised there was a lot of, better than a lot of kids there because when I was about 13 or 14, I mean, I was lucky enough to go to a grammar school. I don't know how I got in there because I must have got something to do with it. I'm not sure. But um, when I was there, I was 14. All I was interested in was sport. Lucky enough, I got to play in the um, the sixth form team. So that was under, I'm guessing it was under 18s then. And I got into that team when I was 14. I thought, well, first of all, my first thought was I'm missing double history on a Wednesday afternoon, which was brilliant. <laughs> and, uh, and then it was, well, I'm better than a lot of lads I'm playing against. And uh, I was playing under 14 for a team called Wibberton which was a little village outside of Boston. We had a good team. I don't know if you remember Chris Woods, who played for England, the keeper. He used to play at Wibberton as well. And there was a lot of scouts used to come and watch the game. So I was lucky enough to go to, I went to about six or seven clubs for trials. And I thought, well, I like this. I've got a chance. And fortunately for me, Blackman took me on. Yeah, just going on to that, when I know you said that you went on a few trials, you had a lot of interest from different clubs. What was the reaction and when was the first time you heard about Rover's interest? Well, what happens was I was still at school and uh, Jim Smith was manager at Boston United. Um, when he left, he went, I think he went straight to Blackburn from Boston. He said to the secretary, if you'd see or hear of any of the secretary of Boston United, John Blackwell, if you'd hear of any kids coming through, send them up for a trial. And um, I used to play for John Blackwell's pub, uh, pub team on a Sunday morning when I was 15, 16. <laughs> and, uh, so he sent me up to Blackburn with Jim Smith and gave me a trial then. Very good, very good. Um, so you mentioned about playing at the sixth form and um, being a lot better than a lot of the opponents. Um, you signed as a schoolboy with Rovers. Do you notice like a big jump up in quality when you go up there? Oh, definitely. I mean, even even went for the trial, you're looking at kids who are good footballers on the same level as you. So you know you've got to work hard. I think I had two weeks in Blackburn. Funny enough, I've been to Scunthorpe about a month before that. And uh, they offered me an apprenticeship. But I said, no, I'm waiting until I've been to Blackburn. Went up to Blackburn, did the two weeks, and Jim Smith called me into his office and said, basically, because you're from Boston, you've been recommended by John Blackwell, I'm going to take a gamble on you. And he offered me an apprenticeship. Um, I know I've said in the book, Scunthorpe offered me £8 a week and um, Blackburn £16 a week. <laughs> but Blackburn was also in a higher division, so... Uh, I was always going to sign for Blackburn. Yeah. What were your um, first impressions of the club, Simon? I know it's he was a very different place now to what it was yeah, then. Yeah, yeah I mean, what do you we, think were say, we were saying where the old ground was, opposite there, there used to be a load of terraced houses. We used to stay in the terraced house. We used to have a, a lady come in who used to cook her breakfast and cook her evening meals, and we was left to it. Um, Obviously, at the time, the club wasn't a rich club. Um, they got by, we didn't have proper training facilities and stuff like that. But very friendly. I mean, the people at the football club, the people in Blackburn, when you met them, there's all always really friendly. Um, and I wasn't used to that. I mean, you walk down the street, even if you didn't know that they, you was a footballer, the people would talk to you. Just normal people talk to each other, if you know what I mean. They always say hello to you in the morning and stuff like that. So I felt I, I settled in really quickly in Blackburn. I bet when you're caught now, you can't get rid of people stopping to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can. I don't mind doing it. I mean, I went to the Watford game this season to do the um, the summarising for Radio Lancashire, and I was stood outside before I went in with a coffee and having a couple of fags, like I always have done, <laughs> and then. Um, the number of Rovers fans who stopped and had a chat with me and wanted a picture. And I don't mind doing that. I mean, hopefully, 
it was older fans who was talking to me, but with the kids and stopping and saying, this is Simon Garner, blah, blah, blah. And hopefully I've brought some joy into their lives when I was playing football for them. So I always talk to the fans when I was playing. And I still do when they stop and want to talk to me now. Yeah, I mean, we'll get onto it later about how football's changed from when you played to nowadays. Um, do you think you could have had that sort of relationship with the fans if you were playing in the modern game? I know a lot of people complain about our footballers nowadays. Do you think you could have had that now? Um, I would have hoped to have done, but it's so different nowadays. I mean, how many Blackburn Rovers, even Blackburn Rovers nowadays, how many players live in Blackburn? I would think none. Yeah. Most old guests live in the Manchester region or something like that. Um, the lives of footballers nowadays they're told what to do more or less when they're training they're told how to train when to train what to eat stuff like that and I'd have really struggled with that and um, I think it's it's hard work for them nowadays I mean they're in the spotlight all the time in my day there wasn't phones with cameras on or anything like that the, these players nowadays are top level players that they can't go out the front door without somebody being there with a camera on the phone trying to take pictures and trying to catch them out. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Um, so going back to when you first turned pro, you turned pro at 18 uh, um, yeah. at, at Blackburn. Um, I think you mentioned in one of the other podcasts I listened to that you had players like professionals like Faz and Tony Parks who looked after you and were, they were tough on you, but in a good way, helped you become the player and the man who you became. Was it difficult? To, were there some people that were difficult? I don't know. I don't, you don't want to name names, probably, but was it? Did it become more no, difficult to him, man? No, it didn't become more difficult for me. I enjoyed it. I mean, from when I was at school at fourteen, like I was saying, I was playing against eighteen-year-olds. So I was used to playing against older people. Um, we had a great squad at Blackburn when I broke through. Experienced players, but younger players as well. And Faz and, as I've said before, Faz and Tony Parks were the two main people who kept your feet on the floor, but they helped you out as well. And if you needed a telling off, they'd give you a telling off, but they'd encourage you as well. And they was bigger influences in the dressing room for not just me, for a lot of the younger players as well. So they was really great, but we had such a, a good team spirit there. Everybody got on, we had a small squad, we didn't bring in big name players and stuff like that. It brought in down to earth players who everybody got on with each other. So we never had a problem. Yeah, I think that helps massively with the team spirit. I think um, a lot of people from Man Lewis's dad's generation, they, they talk about the memories of Berry away um, and that secured promotion back to the second division. What, I don't know, <clears throat> I keep going back to the other podcasts, I haven't been listening to them that much recently. Um, you mentioned that the bigger games, you almost don't, because it goes that fast, like the importance of them. Are there any like key standout memories that you had from them earlier years? Earlier years? <laughs> Scoring two goals in, at Fulham after I'd only played about two or three games. I can't remember how many games I've played. We played away at Fulham on a Friday night. I remember the first two goals. Um, <laughs> But I can't really remember any other standout moments. I mean, I'm not being cocky or big headed, so I'm not like that. I mean, I scored a few goals, and so I enjoyed every goal I scored, but I can't pick out until you get later on in my career against Man City when I broke the record. Goals was goals, and that was my job. That was what I was paid to do, and I enjoyed doing it. And uh, hopefully, I did all right, but well, I did do all right, I mean. Yeah, definitely. I think. Um... The, the fans from that generation will have a favourite Simon Garner goal so it's quite refreshing that you have that um, attitude of I was there to score goals and a goal is a goal there isn't one to pick out um, apart from the record breaking one which we'll get on to um, <clears throat> you had Howard Kendall as player manager as like the, the early years um, you obviously secure promotion and then the next year you went on to um, miss out on the playoffs on goal difference you almost had a few years where the season overall was good, but the end of the season probably wasn't that good. Like we have a couple of years later on where we missed out on the playoffs, and um, obviously we'll get onto the Crystal Palace playoff final and stuff. How 
how hard was it to have a, almost like a good season with that set of lads that you played with to then end on such a sour or disappointing note? It was tough and it got tougher. It gets tougher as you get older. I mean, I wasn't that old, don't get me wrong. I'm in my mid-twenties, late-twenties, as it keep going on. But And it does get tougher. But you just have to... Okay, you've got to wait for the new season and say, right, we're going to start again here. Let's try and improve on what we did the season before. And that's your, that's your aim, that's your target. And that's what we all used to say at the start of the season as a group of players. If you want to do as well as what we did last season, but just that little bit better to see if we can do it and get there. Yeah. Do you have any... Oh, God, Lewis. Uh, yeah, I just want to say, when, uh, when you look back now, that side of the late 80s actually came very close um, to getting to the top flight even before Jack got involved. What do you think... What, what would you put it down to now that you just didn't quite get over the line? Um... Or, it's a tough one to say. I mean, other clubs had a bit more money than us who was in the playoffs and things like that. I'm not saying it's down to that. It's just, at the end of the day, we didn't play well enough in the uh, in the semi-finals and things like that. And that's a thing that you've got two games, and I think it was two games in them days. Yeah. 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 And we didn't do well enough in the games we got to. We just, we didn't bottle it, not at all. You always go out, and every member of the Blackman team that I've played for, always go out and try and give um, 100% every game but unfortunately when it came to the crunch we didn't perform well enough on the days yeah um, so we're going to get on to like, some good memories now you've already mentioned the record breaking goal against Man City um, scoring a hat-trick that day um, were you thinking about it in the build up to the game was it ever on your mind that you just needed the two goals to break the record no, it, it wasn't at all. I mean, it wasn't just a Man City game. I never used to go out and think, I've got to score two goals to break the record or anything like that. My mindset, like I said earlier, was always trying to go out and score a goal. Uh, the record didn't make any difference. It didn't put any extra pressure on me. I mean, people used to say to me, are you feeling the pressure? You're three goals away, four goals away. And I used to say, no, it, not at all. I just It will come when it comes. I always thought it would come. I was confident enough to know I'd break the record at some stage. And it was, was it lucky that it was against a big club like Man City and I scored that trick in the game. So was it a relief to get it out of the way? No, I just wanted to go on and score more goals. Score in the next game, yeah. I mean, there were two, um, well, I mean, every goal's a good goal, but there were two unreal strikes that day. Um, yeah. How would you describe yourself as a player because I think like if people watch them goals they would see like the low centre of gravity the pace the power and the finish and a lot of people when they talk about Simon Garner and don't say this as any disrespect they'll talk about having a fag at half time having a pint after the game with the fans and and but you you were a really good player and what the modern day fan would call a bagsman <laughs> but it, it's all it almost gets it doesn't get forgotten about, and especially not by Rovers fans, but it doesn't get discussed as much. Does that make sense? Yeah, I understand. It. Yeah, I mean, right. Um, I had to describe myself as a footballer. Uh, I wasn't the best trainer in the world, let's put it like <laughs> that. I didn't enjoy training. I wasn't the fittest player in the world. Um, but somehow I had a knack, and you can't learn it, scoring goals. It comes natural. And I luckily had that natural talent that I could score a goal, um, which got me through a long, long, long way at Blackburn. There's times I was having a nightmare, not playing well, but I'd always pop up with a goal that kept me in the side sometimes. I mean, if we'd have had a bigger squad in them days, I'm sure that at certain times, I always used to go through a bad patch round about Christmas. And I'm sure if we had a bigger squad and a manager would have said to me, look, you need a rest there. Um, it's not happening for you. I've got somebody else I can put in, so I'll do it. But in them days, the squad wasn't big enough to do. I mean, would you have appreciated that at the time? Because obviously, like you said, there were times where you, you didn't play your best, you hadn't trained well, and you would still pop up with a goal. Would it, would it not almost get your mentality up that I'm still going to score for you even though I'm not playing well? Would that have played on your mind a bit? Did it change the team about? 
Um, not really, no. Um, it, it, it was nice to score a goal when I wasn't playing well, but it's still in your mind that you've got to improve your game as well. You've got to play better during the game. It's not, okay, you score a goal, it might be the winning goal, it might not be, but you've got to still help the team. You've still got to work for your teammates. I mean, teammates helped me through bad patches and got me through it. And you want to think that you did the same with the other players as well. Everybody stuck together, like I said earlier, and we helped each other through bad patches. Um, moving on again to the full Members' Cup final, um, playing at Wembley, it's a, a memory that I'm sure a lot of Rovers fans will um, definitely remember fondly because of the, the amount of fans we took down there. I think the full Members' Cup yeah. wasn't really taken seriously by a lot of clubs and you know, that was reflected in the attendance at Wembley with so many Blackman fans there and then Charlton that were quite a empty away end not away end but did, did I mean, that was about 10 miles down the road from Wembley <laughs> and like I say we outnumbered them what 3 to 1 it must have been at least um, it was brilliant to see I mean in even, even as a footballer you can just say it was a full members cup but it was playing at Wembley and every footballer wants to play at Wembley every professional footballer at some stage in their career would love to say they've played at Wembley and um, so it's great to get into that final not many clubs took it serious I don't think we took it serious until <laughs> we get through to the quarterfinals or something like that and it's back to the thing I said before we only, we only had a small squad other teams who have bigger squads could leave players out and bring through younger players or reserve team players we didn't have a big enough squad to do that so we used, used to have a strong side out most rounds of it and the closer it got, the more we started thinking about it. Actually, we're going to get to Wembley here. And, um, and the manager saw it as well. So we just got our heads down. Still tried to perform in the league as well. But all of a sudden, we're playing at Wembley. And it's brilliant. I, I wasn't bothered if it's four members' cup final or the FA Cup final. It's a chance of playing at Wembley. Yeah, definitely. I, I can imagine um, turning up at Wembley must have been such a... Um, but after being so many years at Rovers at that point with that team that you'd almost been brought up around to walk out at Wembley that day must have been a fantastic feeling it was a fantastic feeling and I'm um, I was never nervous before a football game N nerves never got to me and I must admit walking out at Wembley for about let's say 20-30 seconds I felt a bit nervous but when I saw the size of the crowd especially the Blackman fans there I, it went straight out of my mind. I just wanted to get on with the game. Gone, Lewis, you going to say something? Uh, yeah, um, you were saying there that you never got nervous for any game. Would you say that you were a player who thrived off pressure? Who used it more, more as energy than just, you know, get, getting nervous? Yeah, not yeah. I'll, I'll thrive off the pressure. Yeah, bring the pressure on. I'll give it all I've got. Um, yeah. When I wasn't, like I say, when I wasn't scoring goals, I'm under pressure, but it wouldn't stop me getting in the box and trying to get the ball in the back of the net. I'd still keep shooting at the goal, still keep getting in the right positions. So, no, it never affected me like that. I'd still give it everything I've got. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, obviously, um, Jack Walker comes in. We start to invest a lot of money. Um, new signings are coming to the door quite thick and fast at the time. And could you almost see... Um, I don't mean to sound this all like disrespectful, but could you see the the ta your time Rovers coming to an end with the players coming in? Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, come on, he must have signed. Kenny must have signed. Well, I can think of three or four strikers he signed pretty quickly. He had Mike Neal, he had Wegley, Speedy. Um, There's another Shearer, wasn't there? Was it Duncan Shearer? Duncan Shearer. Yeah. He signed. Yeah, and then another shearer came through the door and I thought, uh, <laughs> my time might be up now. <laughs> yeah, I thought, hang on a minute. I might struggle to get in front of this one. I mean, it's a player that Kenny wanted. Okay, he was only young at the time, but he, he could score goals and uh, he was a great footballer, Alan was. Um, so I more or less knew. you got Alan Shearer, you got Mike Neal, two great players. So I thought, hang on a minute, I'm not going to be pushing them out the side. I mean, 
when Kenny first took the job, it was Plymouth at home. He sat in the stand and let um, Tony Parks pick the team and whatever, take the manager team. And I must admit, I scored two goals in that game and quite good goals as well. And after the game, I thought, well, I'm going to be right for next week. I should get a start on the new manager. And Dalglish was one of my heroes when I was growing up. And we got for the game the week after in the team. He never used to name the team till two o'clock and he named the team at two o'clock and I wasn't even on the bench. I thought, hmm, I think my time might be, <laughs> might be, my days at Blackburn might be numbered now. Um, did you get a chance not, to, uh, um, sorry, Louis, did you get a chance to speak to uh, Daglish about it? I think. Um... Yeah, yeah, I spoke to Kenny. I mean, it was getting to the stage. And he'd signed Shearer. It was a pre-season when he signed Shearer. So um, I went to see him and I chat with him. I said, look, what's going on? Obviously, I don't think I'm going to get a game. Um, I was 30-31 was at the time, something like that. And I still wanted to play first team regular Saturday afternoon football. So we had an honest chat with each other and he, he, he was honest enough to say to me, he said, look, you might get on the bench now and again, but you won't get you won't be the first name on the in the team. You won't get a game week in, week out, or you might get one seat on the bench once a month or something like that. And I fully understood that. I knew what he was saying. He was honest with me. I was honest with him. I said, well, well, I'd like to leave. And he didn't stand in my way at all. He said, if he could help me in any way, he would do, which was great of him. Although... Oh, um, uh, the way you described it there, it sounded very, um, you, you know, Kenny was very helpful in, in, yeah. in the process of leaving it. It was very kind of uh, amicable, would you say. Um, but was it still, like, with, with, what you'd just, with what you'd just achieved, finally getting promoted, and with what you could see that was happening, was it still bittersweet? Yeah, it was in a way. I mean... I'd set out, I can't, I'd set out three things I wanted to be the clubs as I got first moved on in my career wanted to be the all-time scorer for the football club wanted to play at Wembley and I wanted to play in the first division the Premier League and um, that was a bit bittersweet it got took away from me I, I knew at my age I was never going to get another chance so I don't know should have stayed there sentimentally stayed there and perhaps got two minutes on the pitch in a season I don't know and say oh I played in the Premier League and I thought no I want to play regular football week in week out and that's what I did moved on yeah I think a lot of a lot of fans can respect that because I know yeah. like looking at modern football people will rather just sit on the bench at a, a top club and, and take the, the wages but you moved on you went to West Brom and you had some success there you won promotion in your, your, your season there so You've gone from uh, Blackburn, where majority of the seasons of your time there, you've been successful, been battling at that top end of the pitch, then to go to your next club after that to win promotion straight away must have been a, a great feeling. Oh, it was a great feeling. I mean, and it was Aussie <coughs> Ardealis who wanted me there. I knew that they wanted me anyway. I knew Aussie wanted to sign me. And I knew that before I went to see Kenny. So I knew I had a, I had a club to go to. It wasn't as though I was walking into Kenny and saying, I want to leave. And then thinking, oh my God, where I'm going? I haven't got a clue. <laughs> I knew that West Brom wanted to sign me, so that was part of the reason. But uh, and that was a massive club, West Bromwich Albion is. They're really well supported. I mean, if they're in the Premiership, they sell out week in, week out. They even do that in the Championship. And even, was it the first, well, it'd be the second division then that we got promoted from? The following they had was unbelievable. There'd be games where they're taking eight, nine, ten thousand fans away with them. It was unbelievable, and uh, and the players there, just like Blackburn, we had a great team atmosphere. We all stuck together, and uh, we played football together, and we played out together. <laughs> yeah, they're definitely a very passionate bunch as well. The West Brom fans, not the baggies are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you mentioned a lot about this team spirit. Does that come from the players you're with? I mean, you've pl- you've played under a lot of managers, and you almost have like a <clears throat> it's almost like a gallery of top managers that you've played under. Do they con- yeah, it, did it, they it, control that? Some... Or... No, it's mostly the players who 
the team spirit comes from the players. Um, okay, the manager can be great with the players, but he's a manager and he has to keep out of the way of the players. That's where Howard Kendall had a little bit of a problem because he was a player manager. He found it tough to be a manager because he was still playing and that must be a really tough job that because when you're playing you want to be mates with the players you want to go out and have a beer with them after the game or whatever but when you're the manager you've got to know when to stop and I would like to drink as well so he'd probably <laughs> last man standing sometimes but um, he was uh, he, he found it very difficult to go from being a player to he had to somehow find a way of being a manager He's got a squad of 16 players and he's playing some games. He's got to tell them players, he's training with you all the time as a teammate. Then he's got to pick a team for the Saturday. So he's got to let two or three players down that they won't be in the team. So it's a very tough job. And um, it took him a little bit of while to adjust to that, but he did in the end. Well, somebody like Kenny can just, well, you're not playing and that's it. I've got such and such who can come in and play. I've got him who can come in and play and that's what it was. Yeah, it was a balancing act. And it happened quite a lot in the late 80s and 90s, a player-manager role. It was, it was quite a quite a common thing. Um, it was. Like I said, it must be such a tough job to do. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've been under managers that probably still could have played. I'm sure Dag Leach was still good enough and still had the quality to play. Probably not had the legs at that point, but definitely still had the quality to play. Oh, he still had the quality on a Friday afternoon in five-a-side. <laughs> But he, like you say, he didn't have the legs, and he was oh, he'd join in the five aside after training, and we couldn't stop the five aside until he scored the winning goal. And it took a long time, sometimes on a Friday afternoon, for him to score. In the end, we used to let him score. We had to just to get off the training ground. <laughs> um, so you leave West Brom and you move on to Wickham under another great manager, Martin O'Neill. Um, reach the playoff final and get to play at Wembley against. Uh, our local rivals Preston North End what was Martin like yeah. as a manager because I think he's almost got like this image of a quiet um, like man but he's, when you speak to people that have played under him or been in his, his um, environment he's got such an aura and such a presence about him oh it massive he's got a massive aura about him like you say um, he's a very quiet man until he gets upset and when he's upset he's not quiet believe me but he, he I reckon he gets a lot of it from Brian Clough. He played on the club at Forest. And you could, you could tell that he's he played for that man. I mean, an example, we played a lot of games in one season at Wickham. Our keeper got injured and the reserve keeper hadn't played a first team game. It must have been about 20 games into the season. So we sat down in the team meeting at two o'clock and Martin's picking his team. And he looked at the goalkeeper, he said, I'm not going to name him, he said, you're playing today. He said, if I'd have had the chance this week to get somebody in on loan, a goalkeeper, I'd have took it. I don't really want to play you because I don't think you're good enough, but you're playing. And that lad went out and had a blinder of a game and kept a clean sheet. And that's how Martin was. He knew how to treat his players. He knew to say that to him and then to another player, he'd help him. He wouldn't go in and say, you wouldn't be playing. He's saying, I want you to be playing it week in, week out. And the way he treated his players was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, it's like the arm around or the kick up the arse. He knew that and understood that. Oh, yeah, players. he could do anything like that. He could do. Yeah, we we play a game on a Saturday and we, we'd get beat 3-0. And he'd come in and he'd say, right, lads, just don't come into training until next Wednesday. Go away. Forget about this game. Come in next Wednesday. And then... Say the week after we won a game 3-0, we'd expect to him to say the same thing. See you on Wednesday. He'd turn around and sometimes say, right, I wasn't happy with that. Although we won 3-0, we're coming in tomorrow morning on a Sunday. And we go in on training on Sunday morning. So you, you, you was always on your toes with Martin. You never knew what to expect from him. But for me, he was um, top two managers I played for. He's one of them, definitely. He was a brilliant man. That's, uh, I think definitely something I expected anyway when I hear a lot about him um, so I'm sure you touched on it in the book and we're going to have to touch on it um, here as well you spent four weeks at Kirkham 
Um, oh yeah, people, yeah. Like, like when he asks about questions for Sam Garner, that's it's usually about fags, beer, or questions about this. <laughs> so I had to ask him. Um, yeah, it's fine. You, I think you mentioned the first book or like in the interviews around that time that you had certain people looking after you or like although there was a target on your back and that in in the there was also a lot of people that had your back and for good reason oh too by the way you know what I mean um, when I first got there to Kirkham Prison I was calling to a to a cell I didn't have a clue what was going on I was calling to this chap's cell and he was like the main man of the prison. He was the top prisoner who ran the prison. And he, luckily for me, he was a black man phone. <laughs> and he said to me, he said, look, it's an open prison. It's supposed to be pretty quiet, but you'll find out over the days that it's not that quiet. It's not trouble free. And uh, I'm putting it politely, by the way. And <laughs> uh, um, he said to me, he said, right, you're going to be work. He told me what I was going to be doing. He said, you're going to be working in the laundry. Um, you're going to be doing this. You're going to be doing that. And he, he, he made a list. He actually knew I was going, I was in Preston jail the night before. And when I got there and I had to go and see him in his cell, he said, oh, I knew you was coming anyway. So he worked everything out for me. And he said, when, when you go to the gym, such and such is going to watch you back and look after you. Um, when you go for your meal, your breakfast, somebody will look after you. Dinner, somebody will look after you. Evening meal, somebody's looking after you. If you're stood in the queue waiting to use the telephone, there'll be somebody else looking out for you and looking after you. I said, well, I, do I really need all this? And he said, believe me, you do. He said, because somebody will want to have a go because you're a high-profile person. They'll uh, they'll want to make a name for themselves. So and it wasn't all was doing it. It wasn't... <laughs> There was lads from Birmingham, but he knew that I played at West Brom, and, and there'd be West Brom fans in there who was looking after me as well. He knew exactly who he was picking. So, luckily for me, I was looked after well. That's good to hear. Does it almost feel like strange that that happened? Like I know the, the, it must have been a, a terrible experience four weeks in there, but I mean, oh, it was very strange. Yeah, yeah I, I, obviously, <clears throat> I didn't expect it. Um, it, it was an eye-opening experience. Let's put it like that. Uh, yeah, I played a game of football in there as well and scored that trick. <laughs> <laughs> who did you play? Yeah. Who did you play against? Another prison? I can't remember. They used to they used to play in the league, and I, I'm not joking. They couldn't play away games. Every team had to come and play us in the prison. And um, I can't remember who it was we played. I had a right ding dong with the centre back, and, I but say, I scored an actually. I was going to say about the centre back, couldn't believe his luck when he turned up and you you, you were lined <laughs> up against him. Yeah, and uh, he's having a go at me and whatever. And I said, I said after this game's finished, what are you doing tonight? He said, I'm going out, I'm going to get drunk and have a few beers with my mates and whatever. I said, well, think about me. I'll be locked up at half eight, and you'll just be starting it on the booze. So that's what I'll be doing tonight, sleeping at half eight. And he went, mm, okay then. And he kept quiet after that one. <laughs> um, when you were in there, Simon, did you have any idea about like the um, about what Rolling Stones are doing outside? Like, obviously, there are quite a few protests. I think that Boris the way. You, I, I'm sure you'll uh, I'm sure you'll know now. There's there's quite a few protests to get you out. Yeah, I had, I had rumours about that. Yeah. I didn't hear about it when I was inside, but. Uh, uh, when I used to get visits, people used to say to me about the protests and stuff like that. And who knows, it might have worked. I mean, originally, I was sentenced to nine months. Um, but luckily, I only did four weeks. Um, but I did hear about that. And obviously, I was really grateful that they was doing that. I mean, did it? You never know. It might have had something to do with why I got out so early. <laughs> um, so you come out and then you um, go to a like a few lower league, non-league clubs. Um, and I think around that time, football has started shifting. I think, obviously, we got promoted when um, Sky Sports and the Premier League all started kicking off. And could you almost sense that change? And did you enjoy it? Did you enjoy it more down them uh, lower leagues than what you probably would have done if you'd have gone back towards the top? I'm trying to think, like, best way to word it. So could you see... 
the dynamic of football changing at that point? I couldn't know. I, I, I couldn't. I knew something was going to happen to it, but I didn't expect it to go like it has gone. Okay, to start with, I don't think it was as quick as what it is nowadays. I don't know how many years it is now since the money in the game is astronomical. Um, I don't mind players earning two, three, four hundred thousand pounds a week. If somebody's willing to offer them that money, take it. I mean, I'm not gonna, if I was playing nowadays and somebody said, here's 200 grand a week, I'm not going to turn around and say, no, I only want two grand a week. No way. If you're going to offer it to me, I'll take the money. I think that's the same with everybody in life. No matter what you're working, if they offer you more money than what you want, you're going to take it. And if it trebles your wages, you're not going to say, no, just double them. You're just going to take trouble your wages and whatever. I think it's, I think it's got its pros and cons. Okay. Premiership they're in and shed a load of money. The, the top stars are in loads of money. Even the lower teams, your mid-table teams, they're still on really good money. Um, but it must be, there's big pressure on you when you're outside, when you're not playing football. I don't think you can do too much. You've got to be really careful. Like I said earlier on about phones and cameras and whatever, social media, all that. I've got, I wouldn't be able to handle all that. I want. I would still want to go as an example. Go down to the pub, have a pint, and have a fag, and just have a quiet night. And people want to talk to me. I'll talk to them. Whereas nowadays, you're going to get people on your back all the time, phones in your faces, and oh, have a picture with me. Have a picture with me. Blah blah blah. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I'd take pictures of people, but nowadays it's hectic. Yeah. Absolutely. I'd struggle with that. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm sure it, it must feel like a different sport when you um, when you when you look at it and watch it now, but also I, I, I'm not sure how um, how much you'll be able to see inside of teams like or like compare like the players' lifestyles when you were playing. That being a footballer when you played was playing the game, training, and enjoying the benefits of that. Whereas I feel now. It, it, your life's controlled from the age of 10 up until yeah it is yeah it is no they're completely controlled nowadays like I said earlier on they're told what to eat when to train what to eat I mean they go out on a training field and they start training story when I went down to see Gareth Ainsworth when he was manager at Wickham um, the lads was out training and they got a scientist sports scientists sat in the changing rooms with a laptop in front of him and all these players in training have got these monitors on heart monitors and stuff like that and i was talking to him about it and he he kept saying hang on a minute then he press a button then he got on a microphone and sent it out to someone one of the coaches out there and such and such his heartbeat had reached a certain level stop training so once you got to a certain level, your heartbeat, they used to stop training. It doesn't matter if it was 45 minutes, an hour, whatever. As soon as that player reached that level, they was told to stop training. And that's at Wickham, who was in the, what's well, the first division, isn't it? Well, yeah, in the first division. So what it would be like in the premiership, it won't just be one sports scientist. There'll be loads of them. They have chefs and everything. I mean, I'm sure I read an article somewhere when Kane was at Tottenham. He used to have a chef come in every day who cooked his meals for him. I mean, he can eat beans on toast anytime. I'm not bothered about <laughs> food like that. Uh, but um, no, it must be... You, your life is planned out for you. And that's how I would struggle with that. There'll be days when I don't want to eat, I don't know, boiled chicken and pasta. I want a burger or something like that. And I'll just say, no, I can't handle all this. But you just 24-7... You're in the public eye 24 seven, especially the big names. And I find that very, very difficult. Do you think, um, Simon, because like today, like these sports scientists and managers um, train players in such a way like to get as much out of them on the pitch as possible. And because of that, there's not as many like characters as there were in your day. No, I think you're right. No, they've yeah. got to get them fit. They've got to get them fit for 90 minutes They've got a job to do in the team. 
they can't mess about, well, not mess about, but you don't Enjoy. get characters, you don't get people, I don't know. Right, you want to look at rough characters, say Vinnie Jones as an example. He knew what he was going to get out of Vinnie Jones in a football game, more or less he'd, he's going to kick somebody up in the air. Or you, you don't get a Paul Gascoigne anymore. You don't get any, anything like Paul Gascoigne. Who was, he came into it, he got money out of it, but he was still a kid and he, he was always a kid during his career. He likes to go out and have a drink and whatever and have a good time. And uh, you don't get players like that anymore because they can't do it. Just it's impossible. And then, and then going back to like one of my first questions, where we talked about the appetite for books and podcasts from um, former players. Do you think it's because of that lack of character in the modern game that people are looking forward to more content like that, where we get to hear the stories about the great characters you play with and like the stories that you tell? Yeah, it's, it's the thing about it. I mean, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a player. Not many players in the Premier League at the top clubs stay there for that long. They're always moving on. All of a sudden, Saudis come around. Players are going out there, whatever. Um, so they haven't got stories. Nobody at Manchester City, I don't think anybody's been there. There's, well, you can name on one hand how many players have been there for more than six or seven years. And if somebody has been there for, let's say, 10 years, they would be able to tell a few stories, I would say, but not the stories about, <coughs> excuse me, um, out drinking and whatever. It'd be about how they played and stuff like that. Because there's no characters in the game like that anymore. And they wouldn't have, it'd be a book, I'm not saying it'd be boring. It'd be um, not a laugh. It'd be a, <laughs> a lot poem rather than a book. Unfumorous <laughs> moments, if that's a word, I don't know what it is, but it'd be very sedate and we went to training on a Monday we did this we had training on a Tuesday then we got on a bus or a plane and went and played against such and such a team and things like that you're not going to get a story where oh yeah he kicked off in training today we had a fight or whatever or stuff like that you're not going to get it out of players nowadays yeah um, I'm going to go on to some of the stuff you did after you retired so I think one of my earliest memories of football is actually your 2003 testimonial, the um, the team versus the but did put 94, 95 team, and then you up front. Is that the game? Yeah, yeah, that was it. Yeah, I started on the bench. I think. <laughs> How was that coming back to Ewood and playing? Oh, it's great. I love going back to Ewood Park. I don't get there much nowadays. Um, always, it's just a special ground, even though it's changed that much since when I was there. It's still a special place, obviously. It's got a lot of good memories for me. And I'll always be uh, grateful for getting invited back. I'm always welcome there when I get back. Um, it's good to know that the fans still like me, even though I'm getting a bit old now. <laughs> a lot of them will be too young to remember me playing. But uh, it's just a great atmosphere when I go back there. And so many people want to talk to me, but they're not in my face all the time. They just come and say hello and whatever. And uh, I have a great time when I do get there. Have you any plans to come back soon with the book release? Um, hopefully in the new year. Sometime in the new year, I'll be coming up to do some signings and stuff like that. But we've just got to wait and see at the moment. Um, when it comes out, obviously after, well, it'll be out before Christmas. When it's out properly in the shops and things like that, I'm more than likely, yes, I will be coming up to do book signings, definitely. That'd be good. That'd be good. Be good to see you. Um, you did a bit of commentary for Radio Lancashire, and you're um, still doing the writing for Lancashire Evening Telegraph. Do you still have that connection to the sport? I know we've spoke a lot about the drastic changes of football. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I don't know as much. I don't know the Telegraph anymore. Not unless somebody's doing it in my name. I haven't got a clue about that. One. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't do that one anymore. Um, Radio Lance, I do it now and again not as much as what I used to do um, it's a lot harder now uh, work wise and things like that but um, I'm not a great watcher of football I don't I couldn't sit down three times a week and watch a 90 minute game because I get frustrated <laughs> I, be, I want to be out there as an ex-player you just want to be out there playing um, my son now he runs um he runs a team, he runs a Sunday league team, so I'll go and watch them whenever I can, when they play local. 
and uh, I enjoy that. It, it brings back great memories when I was a kid myself playing in that sort of league. I mean, it, it's useless pitches, wet through, boggy as anything, arguing with each other. There's always a fight during the game or something like that, moaning at the referees. I really enjoy that Sunday mornings with his football team, definitely. Proper football, as some people would call it. <laughs> yeah, that's it, proper football, yeah. yeah. Um, Lewis, any questions before we end, end it there? Uh, yeah, um, so I'd imagine like, you're still keeping an eye out for Rovers' results, obviously. Uh, yeah. What do you think this current team needs to get uh, to, to like, the next level in terms of competing and you know, hopefully winning promotion eventually? I mean... Could they do with being a bit more old school? We, we've said recently they need to be a bit, a bit tougher, a bit better at managing yeah. the game in certain situations. I mean, what I've seen of them, they look a really young side. They perhaps need a couple of experienced players in there. I would say, um, the way he's got them playing, it, it looks like total football. I haven't seen him that much, but he, he likes to play football, <coughs> and it seems to be doing all right. But the championship is such a tough league. There's teams that are spending a lot of money to try and get out of that league. And you're not talking five or six teams. You can go nearly halfway down the championship. And uh, what the manager's doing at the moment, with what he's got, the finances, the way I see it, I don't know if it's right or not, he's doing a great job. And he surprises me. Like I said, it's, it's quite a young squad. When I've seen them, they're not a big team neither. They're not a massive team. And... But they play great football and they keep getting results. When you don't expect them to get a result, they get results and it's unbelievable. I think he's doing a great job. Yeah, I, can, I think we both completely agree with you there. Um, so, yeah, that's all my questions. And if that's your last question, Lewis, then all we can say is thank you very much for coming on, Simon. Really appreciate it. You're frozen. He's just seen some food on the table, aren't he? Uh, <laughs> plate of chips in front of him. I'm, I'm back. Yeah, you're back. back. I'm back now. Oh my god, right at the end as well. I thought we were doing so well for 50 minutes. Um, right, I'm definitely back now. Definitely back. Yeah, yeah so that's all. My questions, if that's your last question, Lewis, then all that's left to say is thank you very much for coming on, Simon. I really do appreciate it. Good luck with the book release, and we'll hopefully see you back at Ewood very, very soon. That's great. Thanks for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Cheers, Simon. No problem at all. See you later. Podcast Network.